You know, sometimes when I look at the whole oppression Olympics, it just feels like a giant game of, it's like an arms race to see who can find the stupidest possible thing that is racist. Like, who can do that? Who can convince everybody else that it's also racist? And which idiot celebrity is going to endorse it? It's like, it just happens over and over again. Nobody asks, the elite is the left-wing middle class, right? It is. Um, And so therefore... They're the ones who do exactly the same thing they accuse the other elites of doing, yeah. which is, you know, stopping people from expressing themselves, you know, like, and, and actually they kind of need overthrowing themselves, but that leaves them in a very strange position because they're the ones who are supposed to be radical revolutionaries. And yet they're now in a situation where, I mean, very much like, you know, communist countries would have been in which someone's got to overthrow you or someone's got to react against you. Yeah. Because in order to rebel, um, actually we're going to have to rebel against you because you're being quite authoritarian in what you're doing, or at least you're being unfair and, you know, it's not helping, or at least it's not improving matters. All right, um, I'm here today with Tarjinder Gill, who is a teacher and is also a well-known commentator on issues to do with society, politics and in particular, education. Um, she blogs at Teach Well, which is your own personal blog, right? And also at yeah, All correct. in Britain. Okay. And you also, you've also written for Spike in a number of other publications, and you've given a bunch of talks and stuff as well, as far as I know. Yes, that's true. Yeah. Um, so I, I've done a lot of talks for Research Ed, um, as well as the Battle of Ideas. So that's sort of the education and the political side. Okay. At the moment, the education system and the teaching profession and, and so on, has come so bound up in the kind of culture wars and is just so typically usually on the left not every teacher obviously but a large number of them view the world in terms of kind of good and evil the left is right the right is basically always wrong and evil yeah. and so if you try to teach anyone history which doesn't go along kind of typical left-wing route you're doing a disservice to the children you're being evil you're indoctrinating them and your purpose is kind of to teach them all the typical left-wing um, kind of prejudices of the day. So if I guess if you could elaborate on the way that that has impacted on things, from your perspective as a teacher, that would be kind of interesting. Yeah, I mean, it's funny, isn't it? Because, you know, they they probably do have, there is some truth in what people have said in the past. You know, for example, the empire probably was taught in quite a jingoistic way, etc. But the, the hypocrisy here is, is they want to teach um, their way of thinking about history in the exact same way yeah, as the exactly. people they oppose, yeah. but they don't see that. They don't see the hypocrisy of that, and that's the problem. If what they wanted was to have different approaches, genuinely different approaches, um, being looked at and thought about and considered, that's one thing. Um, but I don't think there is that openness to, to scholarship and ideas. So funnily enough, they're actually going to be stymieing the, the situation just as much yeah. as they felt that it was stymied before. Um, I also think we've come a long way. Um, the history one is an interesting one, actually, um, and it's, it's one of my bugbears because it's it's a standard trope that nobody teaches colonialism, you know, nobody yeah. teaches about the empire, it's never happened, um, or at least it doesn't happen enough. And so for me, there's a couple of points there. First of all, it's just not true. We, yes, we talk about the British Empire, and yes, they may have taught it in a more jingoistic way, but things were changing. So I'm, I probably am unusual. But when I went to um, primary and secondary, so this would have been in the 80s, essentially, um, 
I did learn about the British Empire at primary. I did learn about apartheid. I did learn about a civil rights movement in the US. And it wasn't in a, um, it wasn't in a kind of, you know, sort of jingoistic, like with the British Empire. It wasn't like, oh, well, the British Empire was great. It wasn't like that at all. In fact, if anything, yeah. it was more kind of pros con. You know, they were starting to do that. They were starting to look into how they could teach it. Um, using all the knowledge that they had and not just promoting Britain or the idea that it was a just thing to do. Um, so people had moved on. Now, it wasn't a national curriculum, but to be fair, um, the national curriculum was something that um, came about later on. Um, so people had, had, very, had very, very, very different um, ideas and uh, about the education system based on their experiences if they were pre-national curriculum, understandably, because it came down to the schools that you went and what they taught, and there wasn't anything specific that you had to teach. The national curriculum, actually, if you look at the 1988, the original national curriculum, it is on there. Things like, you know, units like slavery, um, the world history, it is on there, and it's a complete fallacy that it wasn't on there. And I, I've been told that, you know, genuinely, like people who've taught for a long time and they've somehow either convinced themselves or um, they just never really looked at the curriculum. Um, and more recently, I think there is enough about the empire on there. I think the problem that you have is you have some people for whom you can never teach enough anti-British ideas yeah, about the empire. Exactly. Right? Like, literally, I, I do wonder, like, how much is enough? Because ultimately... Um, they, they never say, do they? they? They never say how much. And I, actually, my last blog for All in Britain was about this. It was like, okay, fine. Here, what? It's about time. You actually sat down, created a curriculum and said, right, this is what we think should be taught. If you're yeah. just throwing it out there casually, oh, there's just not enough, not enough. Well, what do you mean? But they don't, they don't even don't... mean, they don't even mean that they want more of a certain topic taught. What they mean is they want more of a certain topic taught from one perspective which is basically their perspective and that applies across the board. So it's like oh, the way which they would like to teach about society at the moment is basically the, the kind of Black Lives Matter narrative that oh, is unbelievably racist and that you can only explain things through the prism of racism or primarily things have to be explained through that prism and actually there might be other explanations as well. And so I would say... I would say it's less to do with the prism of racism. I think it's more to do with the structural racism. Because, I mean, you can believe that racism exists, and it does. And you can believe that people are acting racist ways and not go down the structural racist route, actually. Yeah. You know, if, if, it, if it, you know, ultimately within sociological thinking, within, you know, within thinking in the humanities field, you do have the difference between structure and action, you know. So actually individuals do act and that affects the structure and of course the structure also affects your actions and so you have you know sort of both things going on but the idea that it's purely structural I think is something um, that's interesting because it gives them the ability to have a lot of power because then they can have um, the ability to say well I need to be part of that structure I need to destroy that structure and they go down the whole revolutionary thing but also the yeah. idea that they need to be but in some ways they're just it's a job creation scheme for them as well you know like they need to then be in those places to make sure the structure is right um but actually, I don't think the structural um, explanation holds. Yeah. Um, and I think part of the problem that you have with progressives in education on this issue, I mean, I, I mean I've seen it before where people are talking about white oppression. And, oh, we must teach, you know, um, teach children about um, white oppression and, and all this kind of stuff. And I just think it's ridiculous. Like, you don't have the evidence to suggest it, you know. And, and also, you know, of course, it's gone, gone down that whole, um, it's influenced by Marxism and, and the whole concept of false consciousness. And of course, that brings the whole um, thing together, doesn't it? Because if people People oppose you they've just got false consciousness it can't yeah. be that their experiences are different to your experiences or their understanding is different to yours because you've read different things you've experienced life in a different way I mean you know like I said my, my uncle's basically joking but there are times when you know he's turned around very seriously and said well you know you know you should respect the fact that you do have rule of law in this country and my uncle's Indian and he's from India you know he's lived there his entire life post-colonialism yeah. by the way so you know it's not like he would have been brought up to ever think the British Empire was a good thing necessarily but you can't just go, well, everything about 
Britain is awful because they had an empire and everything about everywhere else is great because that's not the perspective. But it's, it's so get. juvenile. It's, it's basically the opposite <laughs> of what an enlightened person should think like. And that's basically what's being drilled into kids is these teachers have had it drilled into them that they have to be basically activists and that their job is to make children kind of vaguely activists as well in their understanding of things. When actually, really, they should just be teaching them about the world in a relatively neutral way, I think, and letting the kids form their own opinions based on the information that they are better able to master, mm. the skills they acquire. But actually, it's just the whole assumption underpinning so much of education now. And just generally on that kind of left side of things is that basically anti-Western, that's the only way you can look at things is that we kind of are somehow morally bankrupt. All blame for most things lies with either the West or structural problems in society. And that that's the only starting point for really any issue. Even if the evidence on some issues doesn't not only back that up, but doesn't not back that, doesn't only not back it up, but also might really, really screw over some of the people they're claiming to help. That's like one of the main reasons why I stopped being, so I used to be so left-wing at university, I was just like a massive Marxist. And I was just like, at, at that point I started thinking, that was exactly at the point at which I started thinking that they might all be like kind of mad. Because, so for example, I was studying sociology of education and all um, loads of papers to do with feminism and so on. And I just started from the assumption that, yeah, there are these massive structural problems to do with racism, sexism and so on. And obviously all these statistics are going to give me so much evidence to use in my arguments. And then I'd like be learning about massive, like why is it that everything's so bad in schools? Is it structural racism or is it just the individual racism of the teachers? And then I look at the statistics and it'd be like working class, working class white kids would be doing basically the worst. And there'd be differences between say black African and African Caribbean, uh, black African and Caribbean black kids and so on. In the UK, which can't be explained just on racism, no. it shouldn't be just or between Pakistani and Indian kids, or between <laughs> Jewish and traveler kids. Like there are so many different variations on what's going on. But the assumption of basically so much of my work and what I was being taught was, oh yeah, obviously, given that these structural inequalities exist, which form of racism is it? And as I started, I started from that perspective and just ended up saying, but these statistics don't make any sense in the context of those arguments and the response to that was basically just like to go blank and then open your eyes again and be like so which form of racism is it and I was just like this is irrational <laughs> okay. I'm still I'm still as opposed to racism as I ever was it's just that mm. you don't have to think that everything's racism if there are other explanations <laughs> just just out of my own curiosity because I mean when I went to uh, when I was studying A-levels when I was studying university I was quite fortunate because we actually didn't have this situation I think um, I think it's gotten worse in terms of teachers thinking they should be activists in terms of not giving both perspectives etc etc because I mean when I studied politics it was, we just didn't have the critical so I mean we had elements of it but maybe it's because of partly of what I studied as well your kind of history and politics I studied but it wasn't it was still seen as um, your responsibility to teach the different perspectives you know the liberal perspective the right wing you know conservative perspective whatever the different theories were from whatever you know political um political stance it was seen as you know you would teach a range and then you would come to your own conclusion and it's really fascinating now to see people who doing similar courses either politics or history who are literally like you say that you had to start with the assumptions um and then find out for yourself which is i just find that so mind-blowing because it's like well that's not really an education that is actually an indoctrination which you then have had to overturn um 
Yeah. I think part of the problem is that actually white working class kids in particular, they are really a stickler, aren't they? I and mean, they they really do like just, I mean, I, I think, you know, to be perfectly honest, that a whole progressive group would love it if they just didn't exist because yeah. they're the ones who really, because you see, even with the travellers, you can kind of go down the, their ethnic minorities, they've been oppressed in the past, but you can't really do that with white working class kids. I mean, I suppose you kind of can with the, the working class element, but of course that doesn't quite work in, in the way they want it to work. Um, but, you know, the, the, the problem with white working class is they undermine other arguments, okay? So if you take the whole argument about teaching more black history to black kids or more Asian history, to Asian kids um, because it's going to improve their self-esteem and therefore their outcomes okay that, that's that's a typical example well then you have to somehow say well okay if we're teaching all this white white history in inverted commas why is it not having that impact on those white working class kids why are they not doing better because surely if you just learn about people who've got the same skin color as you if that's going to boost your self-esteem and that's going to improve your outcomes well then it should be happening so why aren't they doing this well you see yeah. and those kind of arguments are really hard for them to tackle which is why I'm saying they'd rather avoid the issue or kind of be quite patronizing about it yes like what Magic Noats calls the bigotry of no expectations you know I actually yes. think that that is more big and so like so there are obviously individual there are still like hardcore racists in society obviously. yeah of course and so if so if, if whenever I make these arguments I have to caveat it by saying I'm not kind of insane I obviously realize there is the odd nutter racist around and there are even aspects of kind of some forms of fringe political discourse which are quite racist and so those things do exist but when I'm arguing against these left-wing arguments I'm not saying that there is no racism I'm saying that the things that these people say affect the everyday life of someone in a kind of inner city school and stuff aren't affected by that sort of racism I don't think I just don't Mm. think it's borne out by reality you might get one kind of racist incident or something every so often where someone walks past the school and says something but in terms of the minutiae of the interactions those kids experience with their teachers and so on I just don't think that those racism explanations or the structural racism explanations are borne out by any of the statistics or by reality but they're constantly taught as the key factor and that ends up arguably completely screwing over ethnic minority kids. It doesn't just apply mm. in education. I think it applies across the board. So a classic example of that, the first thing which really made me go, move, like be confident that I thought the left had just gone absolutely mad <laughs> was when I was reading about um, why some kids in the school, I think it was like some kids in the school were parts of gangs and there was like really, really bad gang problems in these schools where kids would be coming in with knives and there'd be a massive percentage of kids who are excluded and so on because of the disruption in school and loads of them are getting stabbed and dying disproportionately to other groups. And then I was thinking, man, this is terrible. I wonder how this should be solved to kind of help these kids in these backgrounds. And all the academic literature I was reading, and it was such a high percentage of it, would be saying things like, it's awful. These kids come in and the teachers are um, in kind of subtly unconsciously racist towards them because they associate the fact that they're wearing hoods and they have their trousers down by their ankles and stuff (laughs) with the fact that they're probably a gang member and it's like yeah okay fine you don't want the teachers to be prejudiced in that respect and maybe that might be one fiftieth of the problem is the fact that you might not necessarily be in a gang if you have really baggy hoodie on and really low sun trousers but 49 fiftieths of the problem is the fact that those kids are coming into school doing that sort of stuff and stabbing mm. each other and the academic focus should mainly be on what are the cultural reasons and the societal reasons that mean that these kids are at risk of getting stabbed and are stabbing one another 
And the focus is just on why there's racism towards the kids who are dressed in that way and so on. True, and but, but you like, know why that is, right? You know why that is, because if, and, and it's one of the things, that, reasons why I think that um, there's such a reluctance amongst the, the left and the progressive left, particularly that kind of academic left, to really examine what's going on in these, particularly these ex-industrial areas, right? Um, but particularly in sort of those ex-industrial areas amongst the white working class, and, but, but also uh, other groups who they claim to um, research like Black African, I'm sorry, Black Caribbean children and their deprivation, because they only ever they they only ever focus on what they want to focus on. If they actually were to go in there with an open mind, really start to examine what's going on, it's going to hit across their social liberalism, because it is things like, um, well, it is things like you know, sort of the, the lack of fathers. You know, you're going to have to start to go. Actually, do you know what we've kind of messed up here a little bit, and we need to really rethink what's going on. Um, because it is having an impact. You can't just pretend. But they're so tied to it. You know, some of the social liberalisms that they've encouraged um, are actually the reason why some of these problems exist. They're yeah. the reason why you have gang culture. And, and not just amongst sort of black children, but white children as well. I mean, you know, if you go up to yeah. Scotland, you, there's, there's far more of it you know, in some of those places. And, and that's not true. I mean, there's gang culture in lots of places. But you know what I mean? If you're saying what is happening, why are there antisocial problems in certain areas or certain groups? Some of it is down to the lack of family and family breakdown. And... They can't cope with that. You see, family breakdown is not something they can acknowledge and deal with because they've been so anti-family for so long. Yeah. And don't get me wrong, a lot of single parents obviously do an absolutely an amazing job. But here's the thing that actually did change my mind on, on certain things was that you know, you'd see mums occasionally, you know, and the boy's kind of, you know, he's, he's not doing too well. You know, his behaviour's not always great. And probably about maybe year three, maybe year four, you know, they sort of hit seven. And occasionally, not, I'm not saying it was like widespread, but occasionally, you know, the mum would just go, yeah, the fact that dad's not around, that's starting to get to him, right? Like, and this is not some right-wing commentator or MP who's there like, oh, anti, anti-single parent, pro-family, whatever. This is actually the person themselves who's going, you know what, I thought they didn't really need their dad, but I think maybe they do. That's not, that's just an individual coming out with that. And if they're starting to realise that, hang on, this isn't that straightforward. And some of the messages that, you know, not, I mean, it is mostly feminist, but that sort of idea that, you know, you don't need the family, you don't need a father, you don't, you know, those messages are all very well, but actually they do have an impact. And again, certain groups of people, certain, you know, in terms of left-wing academia, they can't deal with that because it's then going to have to involve them revising and rethinking some of their ideas. And I actually think that is a real problem on the left. Yeah. And one of the reasons why I felt like in the end I had to leave the left because I just don't see the mechanism in terms of the left. I don't see the mechanism they have for revising their ideas. Do you see what I mean? What yeah. mechanism precisely do they have? Because it seems to me... But they don't want as... that mechanism, though, I don't think. <laughs> do you think? No. Do you think they... Because, because, because the second like, you like don't go religious. along with it. <laughs> no, you're right. It has turned into religion because it seems to me the minute that you, you move away from any of their orthodoxies or anything, you can't... Um, that's it you know you're you've suddenly become you, know, you literally go from being left-wing and okay to being right-wing it's not like you go to the center or you go to whatever and even if you call yourself a centrist you're basically right-wing you know like the, yeah. they, they, there's this real reaction whereas I don't think that's necessarily the case if you were on the right and you slowly started to move to the center they would suddenly go well you're left-wing I mean maybe they would I don't know I don't know enough um, right-wing people necessarily who are that strongly um, into it but it, it just seems like it's zero, like zero or a hundred. Yeah, it's all or nothing. And that kind of all or nothing thinking means that they cannot cope. They cannot revise their ideas. And, and that's what I found stifling in the end, both societally, but also in terms of the education system. So I just thought, I do want what you want, which is I want the education of edu- disadvantaged pupils to be improved. 
but it may very well be that we can't do it in the way that you want to do it. Now, to me, it seems quite obvious that even if you want to call, recite, you know, learning timetables off by heart, even if you want to, even if it is a right-wing method, right? like, even if it is, if it's going to do the job of improving that child's math um, ability, overall, if it's going to improve that, then I will do it. I will use it. You know, you have to have some level of pragmatism, but that's not what happens. What you actually get is a sense of, well, now you're right wing. It's like, but you're damaging someone. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you're, and I think that's part of the problem is that the other thing that made me really, in the end, want to leave the left was that I realised that it wasn't about people anymore. So the reason why I was part of the left was because I thought it was about improving people's lives. And all of a sudden I realised that I'm not improving people's lives. What I'm actually doing is maintaining an ideology. And that's not what I want to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. No, I mean, once it moves from, I, I think I'm never sure. I mean, I was super left wing, but I stopped being when I was kind of 20, 21. And I was basically an adult <laughs> and encountered loads of, information which just didn't match up with more or less the religious tenets of what we taught but I also think the left slightly shifted as well over the last 10 years to be mm. I mean you could I think I disagree with those of aspects of what Marxists have done throughout history as well but it was kind of a cut more of a kind of class-based thing um and then it became really identitarian and that kind of racial uh, feminist side mm. approach became really pre pre uh, predominant and also along with that that kind of group social media mob silencing dissent mentality became really 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 vocal and wasn't really challenged and then suddenly we had the culture wars where it's become challenged and so now it's kind of just one world view and there's another one which is kind of equally prominent or not equally prominent but that has some prominence in political discourse I think that's kind of my view of what happened so I think also you'd have missed out on um, being influenced by sort of more of the old Labour kind of ideas, which, you yeah. know, all of a sudden became, and I'm not saying they weren't without their problems, you know, sort of the more, the Labour that would have come out of the industrial working class, like, you know, those kind of the working class politicians, working class ideas, or what, what was best for the working class, and you know, the trade unions, which used to, you know, not be woke and stuff, but actually did care about, you know, um, their members. And I'm not saying they don't all do that, but, you know, they're, they're way more political now, not as practical, I don't think, but that's because, you know, of, of what's happened over time. But I think that that old Labour thinking that, you know, that existed within the factories was more socially conservative. Um, that in itself has become racist for a start, you know, um, and so you can just ignore it. Um, but it did have a lot of values attached to it that were so you know, more like, you know, you could incorporate patriotism into that. You could incorporate a little bit of social conservatism and concern for the family. You see, it was able to contain those things, which this strand of left-wing thinking doesn't. So I wouldn't have had it full blast because, I mean, deindustrialization happened when I was... Um, quite young actually you know sort of like while I was at primary school so you know it's not like I said you know I spent decades and decades but um I do still think you know I had the tail end of that influence from you know sort of the 60s and the 70s where you still had that you know very strong working class politicians with those roots in those areas um who were influencing ideas and thinking which obviously waned in the long term um, and I think it's a shame because obviously this kind of generation you don't have that because you don't you didn't have an industrial working class so you don't have that influence and those ideas and somehow you're going to have to try and reclaim some of it I think to um to be able to feel proud of that labor tradition actually i mean and part of me always hates that you know you know some of these academics they've now you know um adopted some of the language of labor you know like like, like my emotional labor i mean give over like you've been like you spent all day in a pit or something you know like yeah. come on you know yeah. like you know you like you 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 don't and part of me genuinely does think you don't know what hard work is like you actually don't get it and yet they want to adopt that language they want to adopt that sense of hard workingness from these people who they now despise, which is quite amusing. You know, it's like, oh. 
But also, you know, like loads of the, I just think loads of the issues in the modern world, especially in the West, can't be fit very neatly into the like perfect box that the left wants to explain things no. within. So it's like they would just love to be able to explain everything as basically the West is really evil. We've got a power structure in society and everything can be explained by where people fit within that power structure. And that's it. And so any issue to do with something which isn't just kind of oppression of one group by another is irrelevant or mustn't be discussed. It's not a key issue. So so one of the main, main things which started moving me away from kind of that left position as well was reading Chris Pitchens because I was always a massive atheist. <laughs> yeah. well, I'm Jewish, but I was like a massive atheist. I'm actually ironically slightly less of a committed atheist now than I was and I still am but I'm not so like mm. dogmatic in my criticism of all religion but I've always kind of held to secular values and think that atheism and like that kind of rational approach is something I vaguely believe in and then I would always be like oh yeah you see, you see this crazy Christian stuff in America or like my crazy Jewish family like did like circumcise <laughs> and ask a kid that's so crazy I was like yeah 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 that's so funny we'd all just take the piss out of everything equally um, and then it was like and I would start reading about, like, you know, what happened in 9-11 and terror attacks and the rise of ISIS and so on, and then be saying, and this stuff is really concerning me. I think this is really, really worrying. And then it was just like a shutdown, like, no, 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 we're not talking about that. That's not an issue. The only issue here is the rise of the far right. Nothing else is an issue. You're just, like, crazy. You're imagining it. More people die by slipping over in the bath than being attacked by terrorists and stuff. And it's like if you really cared about your fellow humans, basically what you would be concerned about the day after ISIS went and beheaded a thousand people or whatever it is in Iraq or shot hundreds of people at a concert would be fighting basically this extremist fascistic ideology, which is wreaking havoc to everyone, like whatever their background. Yeah, no, exactly. If, if you care about Muslims, you'd actually be anti-ISIS as well. You know, yeah. that's the truth. You if know, you really if you cared actually... about that, like if you really, really cared about the average human from whatever background, you would mm. care about not just ISIS, but also beyond just ISIS, the kind of Islamist worldview. I think it's kind of letting Islamism off the hook just to focus on ISIS. It's also the belief that maybe you don't like ISIS, but you think that if you're gay, you're disgusting or you think mm. that women should be covered up or they're immoral and it's okay to think it's totally fine to think those things like it's nowhere near comparable to being an ISIS mm. but I still think if you have an Islamist view it should be open to criticism not necessarily as forcefully as ISIS but you should be able to say to someone I think that gay people are evil or that woman is a disgusting slag because she's not covered up her body enough I should be able to say I really hate that worldview that's because the left does not want nuance they don't want subtlety they don't want them. what they want yeah. is all or nothing either you're this or you're this and so because they can't go um because because they've decided that you know um the certain religious groups are part of their tribe and they, they you know you can't criticize because of multiculturalism it'd be true for other groups as well although the, although funnily enough they are starting to move away now because you know, british indians from you know so the the um so the the Ugandan Indians and the oh, Indian, Ugandan Indians. Indians. Yeah, no, there, there you go. Like they, they, They've been renounced. They've been yeah. they're just gone. <laughs> you, know? um, you see that article in The Guardian when they're talking about why they don't like Ugandan Indians. No, they didn't say that, but it was basically saying, oh, Ugandan yeah, Indians no. are the wrong type of Indians to have. Yes, yeah, absolutely. It's absolutely. Absolutely. 
it's awful and it's kind of like saying well oh you've got the good indians who still vote labor right so that's they're mostly the people who would have come and worked in the industries and things like that. i mean people like my parents who who are genuinely never tories and they're never going to vote conservative there's no point in pretending they won't sorry they will because they won't um yeah. they might uh, uh, reluctantly vote for somebody who's not labor if the labor candidate was really awful um yeah. but they would never vote conservative so they're basically relying on those people to come kind of go oh but they're the decent ones and then you've got these ones who aren't so decent because they did but actually, it's not that straightforward because there are British, in, you know, British Indians from India um, who came from originally from India who vote conservative as well. It's just, you know, right now they happen to have a cabinet that they can pick on. They think they've spotted a pattern and they can pick on certain things. But yeah. it's not really a pattern. It's coincidence. But it's also um, genuinely, it's, it's understandable, actually, that certain groups of people would have gotten further. Because, yeah, it's true. You know, those those Indian people who would have come from um, Africa would have actually been better educated to begin with. So it's understandable in the scheme of things that their children would do, do better overall. But that's not to say that you know people from Indian backgrounds from India don't do um, don't do well as well. But it, it, to me, that was a really I, I felt like that was a divide and conquer situation. I can, I just read it and thought <laughs> I can see what you're doing yeah. here, and, and that that fascinates me because at some level you have this group of people who think, oh, we can do this. And no, everybody else is so stupid, they're just not going to see through it. Like, like you know, someone like me just won't see through what they're doing. What I should be doing is going, oh, great, I'm the right kind of Indian. Brilliant, I'm still in with these people. And I yeah. think that they're not realising that fewer and fewer people are there um, thinking, you know what, do I want to be part of you anymore? Yeah. yeah. And I think that's that's not sinking in to the Labour Party. Certainly, they, they're just not thinking that way at all. But a lot of people have left them because they don't want to be part of that. Definitely. No, it's also the exact same dynamic applies there as I was talking about in education, which is they claim to really care about things like diversity mm. or really care about ethnic minorities and so on, or really care about like Muslims or Indians and so on. But actually, they don't care about Muslims or Indians. They care about the kind of uh, they care about Indians agreeing with the left and if yeah. you don't agree with the left then they just say you don't actually count as an Indian or you don't count as a Muslim because you're basically like a bounty or they use like these really like dodgy horrible terms to criticise people who don't just agree with the left and, and that's I, I actually don't racist you, in a way yeah I don't know if you saw um, I mean obviously before the coronavirus took it you yeah. really took off this week um, like last week Trevor Phillips was um, was suspended from the Labour Party you know on claims of Islamism and stuff oh, sorry Islamophobia sorry and yet there were people and it was Kindy Andrews actually who really did it I mean he just came out with every racist term you can imagine against a black person and wrote it in this tweet and it yeah. was just it was horrible to read that and, and you know part oh of yeah I read well, that I read that yeah he was like know. the C you know the C I don't even want to say it but like he's no like, exactly so, it's yeah it, it was it was like you don't like I don't want to either because as far as I'm concerned and you see and this is where things get really really weird for me because I think so my whole life you've basically been saying to me that those terms are wrong because they're, they're morally wrong to use those terms and yeah it's okay to do it for your political opponents and there's got to be something quite you know and and it hit me on that level it's like no I'm not going to sit there and, and I, I don't agree with those terms being used even by people of the same culture because I just think they're wrong if they're wrong they're wrong and yeah. you've got to go down that route it's not okay you know to say oh well you know because I'm I'm Asian I can use like you know the p word or whatever like I mean I'm not going to do it because I think it's just wrong and it's yeah. not okay for me to suddenly go ahead and do it I can understand a teenager maybe doing it as a, as a joke or whatever but I'm an adult and you know and it's different and you do have to think about these things and the fact that he came out with all of this and I thought well it's still not got anything to do 
with anything that he said. So mm. you, you didn't even, he did not play the, the ball at all. He played the person. So it's almost like he's been waiting all this time to just come out with this criticism, this really personal criticism against this person. But then what, what's so immoral, so I, I think another thing which is happening, this is kind of, this might be kind of a controversial point, so I might end up mm. just editing this all out, but I recognize <laughs> something else which is happening is what happened to the Jews under Labour mm. and the liberal left which is like, yeah, I mean, obviously not the Jews. I don't want to make this big thing about how the Jews are really oppressed, like me as a Jew. I don't think, I basically <laughs> never experienced any anti-Semitism in the UK. Although I do think nowadays, if I walked around with like a kippah or like overtly Jewish clothing, I would actually be quite nervous, probably more nervous than any other religious clothing I'd mm. wear as a guy, I reckon, because I think there's a chance that you get attacked by, or you might have some difficulty in some areas. Um, mm. But it, basically the left, when the Jew, like the Jewish ethnic group kind of came into some conflict with like Islamist issues, mm. the left can only think about term, things in terms of kind of like, there's a power structure and Islamism yeah. to them is something they don't care about. They, they kind of can only see that in terms of, oh, the Jews must be Islamophobic or you put it into that kind of power structure. So it's like the situation in the Middle East, it's like Israel yeah. versus Hamas. So it's like Israel-Palestine, but then they'll end up siding with Hamas as opposed to Israeli Jews, when actually, if you look at that rationally as someone who's a progressive, it's not clear-cut that you would side with the people who hate gay people and hate Jews. You should just be siding, really, I think, with the secular Democrats, which is more or less what Israel is. And then the same thing's happening at the moment with British Indians, a lot of them. It's like there's a situation in Kashmir there's loads of bigotry on both sides in India, mm. but the left's only possible interpretation of that is, oh, the Indians are suddenly unbelievably Islamophobic and that's the only understanding. There's no other mm. factors at play here. And so therefore they start turning on British Indians, a lot of whom have seen the Conservative Party as kind of being more willing to speak out about these issues and not being constantly on the side of what they see as kind of an Islamist threat. And so basically it's just that binary worldview which keeps separately alienating all these different groups, which I think is really no, worrying. No, I completely agree. And I think they, you know, it's hilarious, isn't it? Again, they're the ones who keep saying, oh, oh, but the right does divide and rule, divide and conquer, divide and conquer. It's like, no, you're doing it. Like, I don't think they are. I yeah. Actually, they're probably just going, who can I get votes from? And let's just appeal to as many people. I mean, that's how the Conservatives got in. It's like, how many different groups of people can we appeal to to get our majority? We're going to go there, which is why they won. Ultimately, yeah. that's why they won, right? Um, and it's actually Labour who are, and the left, who are just like, you're this identity you're that identity you go there you think this you think that and the other and if you don't fit into that little group well then you're, just, you're you don't even belong to that group anymore I think it was Douglas Murray who, who mentioned it and said it's, it's just crazy to think that if you're gay if you're female if you're from an ethnic minority or you're trans you but you don't actually get to be those things um unless you think from a far left perspective how crazy is that and the people who who have that perspective think they can remove your identity from you so you yeah. are no longer you know so Trevor Phillips is no longer black because you can just choose to say that he's well, no longer gay. yeah exactly um the anti-Semitism in the Labour Party. I mean, I was always anti-Jeremy Corbyn in the sense I just didn't think that he was a good leader. I didn't um I just didn't think he had the credentials. Um, yeah. Actually, funnily enough, um, my initial thing was I just think he did 
very little during the 80s to actually improve things for people in industrial areas. I think he spent a lot of time in grandizing himself over you know, the IRA and stuff, but he didn't really help mm. create a Labour Party that could win and that could actually improve the situation. And that was actually my main objection against him. I was like, actually, he's not an effective person. And he, you know, he doesn't, he believes in his ideas, but he doesn't actually do anything for people. Not really, you know. Um, so that was my initial objection to him. Um, and then the whole anti-Semitism thing came up, and that's actually the reason why I left the Labour Party because I just I could just see it. You know, yeah. you just start to see these things, and I'm like, mm, no. But I'm not sure that loads of them are. I don't think that it's necessarily so clear cut that in the Labour Party there are loads of anti-Semitic figures. Mm. I think there are loads of anti-Semitic figures, but I think a lot <laughs> of the conversation has been muddled by a number of factors. Firstly, which because I've been I've been focusing on this for ages, is the issue of Islamist anti-Semitism. Because I know far-right anti-Semitism when I see it, it's so obvious. Everyone knows mm. that far-right anti-Semitism exists, it's just common sense. So being like really anti-far-right anti-Semitism, yeah, that's obviously really important, but it's almost like easy to do that when everyone knows that's what mm. you should be anti. But if the real issue, or if a another equally grave or even more grave at some points in the last few years threat to Jews across the West has been Islamism. As in, like, in France, there's been a massive exodus of Jews to go to Israel, and it's not mainly been because of far-right anti-Semitism. It's unique parts of that, but it's also because of just extreme Islamist anti-Semitism um, across France, and that's led to loads of people leaving. And it's the same in Labour. Like, the unbelievably vehement anti-Israel sentiment hasn't just come out of nowhere. It's kind of because of the anti-Western, stupid anti-Western way they view everything, so they view mm. Israel as Western. But it's also because there's kind of an Islamist view that Israel is really evil and that has just deeply anti-Semitic undercurrents to it, and Labour got too embroiled in that. And the discussion around the anti-Semitism thing in Labour wasn't explicit enough, I think, that what a large part of the problem was, was that Islamist view within Labour. But, but I also think there's a real issue, full stop, amongst the left, which is they that they um, they admire and they love the idea of radicalism and revolution. They do. It, yeah. they, they, you know, they, they just have this, it's the ultimate, right? And so in a bizarre kind of a way, um, the most extreme Muslims, the Islamists, are kind of doing some of the stuff, they, the, you know, revolutionary yeah. stuff. They like think and, uh, Yeah, no, exactly. And so they look at that side of things. They're not actually looking at the moral side of things. They're not looking at, you know, innocent people are dying or that actually they've got some pretty despicable views. Um, but it will keep happening because actually until they lose their love of, of of re radical revolutions and all the rest of it, you know, and, and until they understand the the consequences of the radicalism, and the, and actually take some responsibility for communism, it has to be said, you know, and, yeah. and those ideas that have led to such such destruction and death across the world. Until they take some responsibility, they're not going to move away from this. I yeah, I mean, no, that, so that's so. For example, to use um, so okay, the left will say this guy should be banned from speaking at this event because the other day he hung out with that guy and that yeah. guy hung out with a far-right person. And basically, so the left's perspective is the far-right is so, so evil that any any association with it whatsoever basically instantly means that the person who's associated with it is so immoral that they shouldn't be involved in the discussion, which I actually 
don't necessarily think is wrong. I haven't made up my mind on that. I'm open to the idea that the far right is so evil. That, like, that a little bit like that kid's got the lurgies, right? So yeah. you can't go anywhere near them, right? And it sounds like you know, I'm a primary school teacher, so, but there is an element of um, you can just be so easily infected, you know, just by, you know... Just oh, no, yeah, I totally agree with that. But just to finish that point, the point is the left is completely established and it's accepted in society. The far right is unbelievably evil because of the terrible, terrible things it did in history, which I agree with are so bad that we should be really focused on the threat of that. And so any association with it is really awful. That's the second stage that I'm not clear on at all, but mm. I still would rather not just have anything to do with anyone who's like yeah. far right at all. But the left, the people who make those arguments, like Owen Jones and so on, will be saying things like, take Nigel Farage off LBC, take these right-wing people off the platform, ban them, they should have no platform because they're doing the far right. But they then associate with and actively campaign for, for example, John McDonnell, who stood in front of a massive poster of Mao and Stalin on more than one occasion gave speeches which is imagine if someone stood in front of a massive photo of Hitler and Mussolini. Yeah, no, exactly. So that's a way more specific association with the extreme far left, which has also throughout history done unbelievably awful things. And to the left, it's just irrelevant. It's not considered something we should be wary of at all. And that's like one of the things which in education as well, I think, is borne out is like you're taught rightly to be really, really wary of the far right, which I think is good. But the left is teaching that and the left just has no awareness really of what the left has done and mm. the way that trying to achieve something which is really good like the road to hell is paved with good intentions you know yeah like no, left, exactly they have no awareness of that and that's the double standard that's why it's so irritating when you have someone like owen jones or any of these left-wing people constantly calling for people to be banned for being it'll worried. be interesting it'll be interesting won't it you know like now that we've got more eastern europeans living here if actually they're not part of the group you go hang on how come you don't have you, you know you wish one like the british empire how come you don't teach anything about the communism right like actually why is that not on the curriculum it'll be yeah. fascinating to see if that doesn't happen because you know you've got groups of people here now who's um you know sort of within living memory still um know people who you know suffered the horrors of communism you know and actually suffered it firsthand and and deliberately overthrew it actually yeah. you know that was their revolution was to get rid of the communists not bring them in um and yeah i, I think it's it's genuinely one of the things where they they don't want to acknowledge any of those sides of things because i think you've got people who still cling on and believe it's gonna happen it's i don't know it sounds crazy they just don't even they don't even think it doesn't even occur to them i think it's like a religion it's so religious Oh, absolutely. I mean, I mean, Marx's prediction, um, sorry, Marx's prediction about um, the working class rising up, right? I mean, the whole thing about that, they've treated it like a prophecy. They've treated it like a central tenet of their belief system. And it was funny because I hadn't really stopped them thinking about it, because I stopped and thought about it, really. Um, but, you know, it's always just been there in the background. Oh, you know, the working class failed to produce this revolution. Just that comment, right? And if you stop and think about it, it's like, hang on a minute. He made a prediction. His prediction was wrong. Yeah, his exactly. Working class were wrong because they yeah. didn't produce his revolution. His prediction was wrong. Why yeah. was his prediction wrong? And a simple question like that would flummox an awful lot of people because it's like, actually, I didn't think about it that way. You know, you, you haven't because you spent your whole time blaming this group of people for not yeah. doing what you wanted them to do. Well, yeah, what that's, they? Exactly. It's you know? so true. But they, they wouldn't, even if, I honestly reckon, even if there was some form of like working class revolution, it's at best 50-50 that the current left would be in favour of it. <laughs> like, <sounds laughs> Why would you say that? I just don't reckon that they would be able to correctly perceive the so-called kind of like working class consciousness moment mm. as a work. I think they just get it completely wrong anyway. So like, for example, Brexit, I'm not 
a massive Brexiteer. I, I'm kind of happy it happened because I think it would have been unbelievably mm. undemocratic if it hadn't. And also, yeah, I, no, same here. I, so I didn't vote for it, but I, I just understand. I was just instinctively, whenever I turned on the news and saw that they were trying to stop it, I just find it so irritating because it's not to do with kind of <laughs> wanting it to happen or not. It's just I can see how stupid and undemocratic that whole approach is. Mm. So it's really frustrating. But on something like Brexit, there was undoubtedly a large number of working class people who did vote for that. And I don't think you should, I don't think that because they're working class, they're right. I think that's just as stupid as thinking that they're wrong. But there were definitely loads of working class people voted for it. And loads of the most adamant left-wing communist type people came out and basically said those people are all absolute scum idiots. So I'm not sure they would even pick up on what working class people really wanted at a given time. Did you notice that they they still, they're still a complete blank. Like it's, it's just like they, there's a complete blind spot there as to the fact that a third of minorities actually voted yeah. for Brexit. Like, and there were groups, there was like Muslims for Brexit, there were Sikhs for Brexit, there, there were these groups out there campaigning, right? And the only, funnily enough, the only reason I knew about it is because Travel Board did a segment at the time and because I was on some sort of list, they actually asked me to go ahead and it was um, just some sort of Channel 4, pro, like Channel 4 programme and so I was, I was just in the audience. And funnily enough, I didn't actually speak at it at all, just listened. And for the first time, I have to say it opened my eyes because I didn't realise there was so many I think I probably assumed that most ethnic minorities would be remain. Um, and then to see all these groups, I'm like, no, not at all. Yeah. Um, actually, it was an eye-opener for me. And, and their arguments were just as valid. Um, and funnily enough, it was about immigration for them too. And it was the thing that made me laugh the most was like, oh, you know, like immigration is such a massive issue. Yeah, it was a massive issue for everybody. It was a massive issue for those, that audience. And the, the, the hilarious thing was... Um, the presenter of the show like he wanted to move on to something else because I think he wanted to make out like because we were ethnic minorities our ideas and concerns about this were different but actually the hilarious thing was it wasn't the number one thing anybody wanted to talk about was immigration that was it and they kept I think we were haranguing him actually during the break and go no no we, we need to say more we need to say more he's like no I think we need to move on and yeah. so the the, the the interesting thing was how much um, to what extent their values and ideas about why they wanted to leave uh, aligned with all the other leavers, which of course people don't want to admit, right? But actually, depending on where you live in this country, you have got a different perspective. The idea that if you are, um, you know, from a, I don't know, Pakistani or an Indian background, and you live in one sex industrial areas, that your perspective is going to be the same as somebody who lives in London. It's just ridiculous. I mean, you have completely different lifestyles. You have completely different backgrounds. Your experiences have been completely different. And it always you know, amuses me that, you know, um, far left witter on and on and on about experiences. It's just, oh, my experiences, you, you've cancelled my experiences. And yet they don't seem to, like, they don't seem to care about the fact that they ignore everybody else's. Yeah. No, I just don't think they care, though. I really don't think they care about... <laughs> ethnic minorities in general. I keep saying this, I think they only care basically about having people who support their view. And then you get that with the Tories, it's like they've said for ages, we have to have diversity. They've been criticising the Tories, they've been criticising all these institutions to not have enough diversity on the boards and so on, which I actually think is an all right point. I don't think it should be enforced, Mm. but I think it's valid to have some diversity on boards if it's merited, let's say. Um, And I would kind of like, I just like seeing that when it does happen. But then we've got the Conservative Party elected in with the most diverse government we've had ever, I think, which I quite look, I quite like that. I don't particularly care, mm. but I, I'll be like, oh, that's quite cool. And then the left has just come out with these articles using literally using racist terms to refer mm. to the people, saying we've got too many Indians like Priti Patel, Rishi Sunak needs to be boycotted and all this sort of stuff. And it's like, you don't care about that at all. And then they start saying, actually, this whole diversity thing is rubbish. We don't care about that anymore. And it's like, it's just <laughs> pathetic. It's actually pathetic. Like, it's embarrassing. But um, so many people still just get sucked into thinking that those people are really, really, like, truly progressive, which I'm not sure that they are. 
No, I completely agree. I completely agree. Um, and they're, they're not, essentially. I think um, they... I think a lot, there's a lot of people who want political power. This is the way they get political power. Um, it happens to be, you know, the, the, the in thing. I think there's an element of middle-class pretentiousness in all of this too, I have to yeah. say. Um, I think there's definitely an element of going, well, we can just kind of just create this whole universe where things are exactly how we think it is. And, it, and you know, sometimes when I look at the whole oppression Olympics, it just feels like a giant game of, it's like an arms race to see who can find the stupidest possible thing that is racist. Like who can do that? Who can convince everybody else that it's also racist? And which idiot celebrity is going to endorse it? It's like, I mean, it just happens over and over again, doesn't it? Yeah. And what's yeah. the stupidest thing we can figure out? And, and it, like, this is the element of pretentiousness. I mean, it's, it's that thing of like the same thing that drives people to look at, I don't know, composition number seven, which is basically a canvas of you know, yellow. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I just think whatever. I, I am. Yeah. Maybe I'm the Philistine when it comes no, to No, no, I agree. I agree with the that. The same thing that, it, that, that drives that person to go, oh, there's something in there. It's the Emperor's yeah. New Clothes, right? Like, it's exactly what it is. And yet, it's being, um, it's happening on this scale on these really important issues. And actually, you know what? I don't care if you want to apply that kind of pretentiousness to art and fashion and these kind of things. But actually, when you apply it to race and gender, there's, there's a much bigger consequence. It's not that straightforward. But also, so something which is so irritating, I constantly have to like caveat every one of these points because I genuinely <laughs> am really, I really don't want anyone to have any, face any prejudice in them, like, the, even like on the no. minutiae of their daily life. And I do think that things, so what I find kind of annoying about how binary this whole discussion is, is a lot of people on the right say, oh, it's all bollocks when the left say this stuff. And my perspective mm. on it is always, I really instinctively agree with that criticism. It's just like, why are you obsessing with these tiny things? But it doesn't mean that um, the individual things that the individual left-wing person might be picking up on might still be slight issues, for example. So, for example, things like saying, um, call a Jewish person a Jewish person rather than a Jew. Like, that's actually quite an obvious one. So I don't even think mm. that counts. That's kind of doing more of a service to the left than me. But, you know, little minutiae of things like that. I still think they're valid. But then the left, I agree spend ages, they spend ages telling you, you have to think that, and it's unbelievably yeah. important. And then Rishi Sunak gets elected, or Priti Patel, and they just draw her as a, a really caricatured cow, you know, with the horse, like a bull yeah. with horse looking really ugly, refer to Indians like, and black people using literally old-fashioned racist mm. language, which, which I wouldn't even say now. And it's like, you've been telling me that I should be paying attention to these like, minutiae and if I disagree, I'm really racist. I've tried to take that at face value and I think it has validity to it. And then suddenly the second you don't agree with the ethnic minority person, you come out with all this stuff and it just seems like so disingenuous. I think I think the initial ideas behind people, sort of political correctness, for example, I think there were genuinely people who were basically trying to say, look, you know, we do need to have boundaries, right, to what is, um, what is acceptable and not acceptable publicly, um, and I, I don't disagree with that. You know, I'm not going to sit here and say that I, I, I agree with people being able to call me whatever name they like in public, right? You know, yeah. I'm quite happy with the fact that, you know, you get prosecuted if you say certain racial slurs to me. Um, however, there's two problems. A, it took off. And so now it's like ever, like I said, you it's almost like they have to keep finding things now they have to keep finding things and and it became for some people a means of controlling other people like, oh this is great i can control other people i get to have all this power and influence because i get to decide what can be said and what can't be said right so it went too far on that scale but the other thing that's done that's quite damaging i think is that it um it prevents that kind of bottom-up integration 
where we as individuals have our discussions you know and so you and I can thrash it out between each other right so how do you how do you feel about you know and maybe I would have referred you know, maybe I would have used the term a Jew right like and, and unknowingly you know not realize there might be negative connotations or whatever so instead of you and I discussing this and, and me coming to that conclusion and then just leaving it and whatever you know just just in our own sphere it's got to be imposed top down right so now our conversation is subject to top down um scrutiny and that i think is an issue because instead of because i think to some extent you do have to allow different people and us as individuals one-to-one to thrash out some of these things because i think we are able to do that i think that's part of the reason why things have have improved in terms of race relations is actually because people have had to do that themselves and not yeah. it can't be purely down to the individual but i'm saying some of this stuff has to be you have to allow it you know um I remember a friend of mine sending me a joke because I'd worn an outfit. Um, so I was taking the children to a Sikh temple. This was when I was working in, in the school in Leicester. And he'd found a video um, of like, he said to you, okay, it turns out it's a snowman, right? But it's dressed that, but when you it kind of, the video goes up from the bottom to the top and you only realise the snowman at the at the top. But the, what, what it was dressed in was this Indian outfit that did look exactly like what I was wearing. And I thought it was hilarious because it was like, yeah. oh wow. Like you, you'd notice what I was wearing. That, and I thought it was funny, but he didn't post it on Facebook. He posted it to me, he DM'd it to me. And that's because I know that he would have felt, you know, I mean, he didn't say it, but we both understand that he would have been reluctant because other people might have taken that joke and thought it was racist. But actually, I don't think it's for anybody else to tell him or me whether that is or isn't. It's between us. Now, if I thought it was, given the context, that's different. But we'd have had that conversation quite informally. And I think that's part of the issue here as well, is that everything's becoming this kind of formal thing where other people get to decide for you. And that's actually quite an anti-British thing anyway. I think that's where some of the pushback comes from as well, which is that, hang on, um, people have moved, they have shifted their ideas, they have, you know, improved things. And yet, there is a truth. Um, so one, uh, one of the forums that I'm in, um, there's this guy who's from Birmingham, probably, you know, sort of in his mid-twenties, whatever. Um, very much, very similar to the kind of background that the children I was teaching at the time have. And um, he just came out with a comment that really bothered me because he was just like, okay, so w- when do I get to not be racist? And he was like, wow, okay, that, that's, that's a comment. And I thought, well, hang on, there is something really bizarre here because I'm, as a teacher, I'm going in and I'm teaching a definition of racism that I think we accept as society and I think that's the right thing to do. And yet you're right, actually. There's something right about what you're saying is that you're out there in society now and every time you, you know, every time you you end up in the right place, the goalpost shifts and you're in the wrong place again. And that's true for a lot of white working class people, I think. And I think that's why they're so reluctant because this kind of constant redefinition of what is racist and the constant new things that are racist or are sexist or are, it's tiring. It is, it's tiring. And like yeah. I said, I think to some extent, I'm not sure if it isn't done to keep certain people on the wrong side all the time. Well, no, it's also just a way of constantly seeming like you're really radical, I think. But basically, so on this point... I, it's so confusing. Basically, I completely agree with so much of what you say, but the only point I have, I always force myself to keep in mind is that if I lived like in a vacuum and I just looked at an mm. individual interaction, which a left-wing person might write a Guardian article saying what was problematic about that interaction, I almost always, or in loads of cases, would agree with the person writing the article in the sense that if someone makes kind of an off-colour comment I just feel really like, oh man, I really hate that on a kind of like my, on an individual interaction basis. I'm really conscious of that stuff. And I don't want to accidentally go down the route of because I find the left at the moment so obsessed with Mm. that and so annoying. Being like, oh, it's all bollocks. I wish we had good old fashioned like 
openness about all this stuff. And then you have these kind of slightly dodgy comedians. Like a good example of that is like, you know, Dave Chappelle came out against all this. Yeah. And everyone was saying how unbelievably great it is. But then he used like, he referred to gay people as like the F word, you know? Mm. And I was like, I don't really see why that's a good thing. It's just something which I would probably rather we didn't. But then the, the, my, mm. my point is like, there's, so I'm aware of all that. And I don't want to kind of throw the baby out with the bathwater on an mm. individual interaction basis. But there's so many issues with it. The first one being, there'll be an ISIS attack. 50 people will be killed on the basis of being the wrong type of Muslim or a Jew or a Christian or something or a woman, whatever it is. And the next day, there'll be two articles about the rise of the far right in response to the attack and two articles about mm. the problem of like micro-racist interactions in schools. And there'll be no articles or barely any articles about the need to combat the spread of Mm. violent islamist jihadist ideologies across the west and across the world and it's like your focus being on that at that time is so ridiculous that i can't even kind of fathom that it's possible and the second point is when the left don't agree with the person those concerns completely go out the window it's like you've been telling me for years to be unbelievably careful about how i talk about different ethnic groups but at the same time you then go to a labor meeting where a hamas a hamas smokes person is giving a talk and you don't bat an eyelid when that person makes videos which say that you should stab all the Jews in the world. And it's like, if you're going to tell me how to be really polite to people on the basis of their ethnicity, which is fine, why do you not care about these figures who go around stabbing, stabbing mm. or encouraging people to stab Jews? There's just so many double standards that it becomes... Yeah, but, but but I think they thrive on those double standards. I mean, I agree with you. It can't all be down to individual interaction. I, I don't, I'm not saying that, you know, you can't have people commenting on what is acceptable and unacceptable or the rest of it. I think my issue is that, it's being, that there is a real thrust to make it not just about... Um, on a societal level, having that discussion, that debate, and sort of people contributing to it, it is very much, we, we are the self-righteous here, we are the righteous, and we get to decide for you every single time yeah. uh, what is and what you can what you can and can't say, when you can and can't say it. Um, and it's very arbitrary too, because I think, uh, like I said, at a certain point, it wasn't arbitrary. It was very much these are racial slurs. These are words used against certain groups of people, and actually, it is offensive, right? Like you know, it, it's it's an insult to them, and we shouldn't be using those openly, or at least we really, and we should quite rightly be teaching them as what they are. So you know, if I, as a teacher in a school, if I hear certain words, I I do need to report it. You know, I think that's fair enough. Um, where I think it's gone too far is that they're searching for it now. They're searching for things, so they're making mm. things that. So then, you know, they're, they're creating the new, the, the new insults almost. So they're trying to find something that will replace the old insults. So now that people aren't using those, because the problem is that um, with all this anti-racist, anti-sexist work is what happens to you when the, the rate of racism and sexism declines? Well, then you've got to, you, you know, it's like the supply and demand thing. I'm sure you've heard it before where, you know, the supply of, you know, the, the demand for racists is greater than the supply of them. Right? So, so then they're having to create um, more racist, more sexist, more whatever. And that's the problem with, with what they're doing is that they are creating that situation. It's not that situation's there and they're dealing with it. They're creating a situation in which they can then say, those people are like this and I have to deal with them. And it and goes I think hand that's in hand. What people are really pushing against. Yeah, totally. And it goes hand in hand with pushing basically misleading or false narratives about how society is just structurally mm. and institutionally unbelievably sexist, unbelievably racist. And then these things are on top of that. Because actually, that just statistically isn't the case. That's not what I mean, yeah. I could be wrong, but I don't think it should be considered racist or sexist for me to say that I don't 
I don't understand society in precisely those terms. Not that there are mm. some issues, but in general, that's not the best way, I think, to understand all the issues facing all the different groups in society. I think it's much more complicated than that. And the way that the left pushes the narrative, basically, that society is still really, really racist and sexist, and that's what's holding different groups back when actually it isn't borne out by reality. And then they push these micro-interaction points as well. It's just such a myth. It paints a completely misleading picture. So then you get people coming mm. through the school and leaving school thinking, wow, we live in a really racist, bigoted society mm. and it's holding back all these different groups. I, and anyone who opposes me must be a disgusting racist. And I'm like, I used to think all well, loads of this stuff and I'm from an ethnic minority background, like basically all my friends are from ethnic minority backgrounds or half of them. Like I'm not bigoted. I just don't buy into that particular narrative. And it's just it's so ingrained that that seems like you're being really racist, but actually you're just disagreeing with that one narrative. <coughs> no, I completely agree. Um, that's not growing virus, by the way. Yeah. That's just joking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, exactly, exactly. We didn't meet face to face this. Yeah. Um, but um, I completely agree. I, I think, again, I think part of the problem is that the left has been unopposed um, and they created a situation where they've been unopposed academically and in certain institutions. So there's still a desire to pretend there's this right wing conservative elite in the whole of society. Yeah. And they are in control. And so therefore they are the people that are acting against it. Yet what has happened, particularly with um, New Labour, it has to be said, because they were in power for such a long period of time. And it needs to be understood in those terms as well, because I think the Labour Party before did have some impact, but I think it was New Labour that really created this, which is quite a middle-class elite, it has to be said, middle-class left wing elite, that now actually has an awful lot of power in society. So you don't just have an elite that consists of the right, you have elite, you have elites, you have multiple elites now, right? So you don't just have an elite, you have multiple ones. That they want you to believe there's just an elite, but that's not true. So if you yeah. look at the arts, the elite is the left wing middle class, right? It, it is. Um, and so therefore, they're the ones who do exactly the same thing they accuse the other elites of doing, yeah. which is, you know, stopping people from expressing themselves, you know, like, and, and actually they kind of need overthrowing themselves, but that leaves them in a very strange position because they're the ones who are supposed to be radical revolutionaries. And yet they're now in a situation where, I mean, very much like, you know, communist countries would have been in which someone's got to overthrow you or someone's got to react against you yeah. because in order to rebel um actually we're going to have to rebel against you because you're being quite authoritarian in what you're doing or at least you're being unfair and you know it's not helping or at least it's not improving matters so i, I find it quite weird because i feel like i'm on the outside of this looking in and going mm, I, I don't actually agree with you yeah i think deep- i think there's so much of society is like that that's what happened with the election basically and with all the different elections across the west in the last or so many of them in the last two three years or whatever it's just everyone's secretly so many people at home the silent majority just like this is not something i believe in so even though it's, and it's interesting isn't it you know you and i would have come from that tradition yet we've rejected it you know and i would yeah. you know for a lot longer you know i spent most of my life just going along with that kind of just believing that the left did do the right thing and therefore essentially they were right I mean I may have had a few misgivings but essentially they were right about most things and essentially they were in the right too you know morally as well because for me it wasn't just a political thing it was a political moral thing and I don't think I ever treated it like a religion because like I said I I probably would have had that influence for old labour too much for it because I was never a Marxist I never went down that route um like I do pride myself in the fact that I sort of I read George Orwell quite young and so therefore I wasn't going to go I wasn't going to do that right like you know which is one thing I think should happen um we should definitely have to read George Orwell um as a nation just to just give you I, I see it as a as like um a vaccination 
yeah. against, against sort of, I mean, as best as you can against, you know, sort of against a kind of far left thinking, but, um, or at least the idea that it's not totalitarian because it is. Um, but it's interesting that we came from that perspective and we've moved on from it. Um, but I think the thing that interests me is that people talk about values and I, that's the thing that I actually think is interesting. I don't think it's a rejection of their values. I think it's easy for people to say, oh, people are rejecting our values and therefore they're these evil conservatives. And I actually think it's not. I think a lot of it, like I said before, it's about, and I, I call it pretentious at the time, but it's not, it's, it's more than that. There's, there's an element of pretentiousness which actually involves maintaining a pretense. And one of the things that you've said quite often is that, you know, we have to maintain the pretense. Pretense, these Islamists aren't as bad as they are. Right. Yeah. So you have to maintain the pretense that um, the grooming gangs aren't really happening. It's not as bad as it is. You have to maintain the pretense that actually all these all these white working class people are racist. You just see what I mean? It's pretense yeah. after pretense after pretense. And actually, it's not about values. It's about saying what you're saying about society doesn't ring true anymore because you're exactly. so tied to this structural racist argument or structural um, Marxist argument in, in terms of what society needs. You're, that you're moving away from reality and you're not seeing the problems of what they are. Therefore, you can't solve them. And yet yeah. you're still going on witching on and on and on about it because actually they do have an awful lot of power. If you think about how much influence they've had in education, in the arts, etc., you know, even in politics, and how far they've managed to get at times, they can't claim to be oppressed. Like how many oppressed groups in, in the history of society have managed to like, you know, convince governments to do or political parties to, you know, adopt their policies? It's not that straightforward. It's a very ahistorical movement, actually. It's very interesting. Yeah, that is a very satisfying point to end. So I think we can talk about <laughs> yeah, that. <laughs> Thank you. This has been really fascinating. <laughs> Boom, 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 boom,